Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Well, hi again, everyone. I'm 1010 Win Sports Director Mark Ernay. This is another podcast edition of On The Mark, and we are back in the book nook, chatting with a guy who spent 12 years in the NFL as a defensive lineman he was a part of the legendary New York Sack Exchange with Mark Gastineau, Joe Klecko, and Abdul Salam. He's in his 19th season. Where does the time go? As a radio analyst working alongside the play-by-play voice, Bob Wischusen. He is also, of course, the founder of the Marty Lyons Foundation, which grants wishes to children ages 3 to 17 who've been diagnosed with a terminal or life-threatening illness. And the proceeds of the book we're about to talk about benefit his foundation. The book is called If These Walls Could Talk, Stories from the New York Jets, Sideline, Locker Room, and Press Box. It's available from Triumph Books, wherever you find your books. The man has seen it all over 40 years plus. I'm referring, of course, to the great Marty Lyons. And Marty, thanks for joining me. How are you? You know, Mark, I'm doing well. I think that we're trying to do, take all the precautions that we can uh, to limit the exposure to the virus. I know here at work, I work for a construction company over here in Bayshore called Lantec, and we've taken all the precautions. We actually work for about 90 days remotely from home. So um, trying to get back to a normal world is going to be you know, kind of difficult. And I think for most of the people going through this, uh, you know, you look to every Sunday or every Saturday for a football game so you can escape the reality of the world and have a little bit of entertainment for three or four hours. And uh, unfortunately, if you're a Jet fan, uh, you haven't been able to witness that this year. But uh, I think they got better years in front of them. And, you know, we're all just trying to make it through a difficult time. Now, before we dive into the book, uh, I heard the spot you did with Moose and Maggie, uh, Mark Malusis and Maggie Gray on our sister station, WFAN, a couple of weeks back. And they brought you to tears uh, talking about one of your teammates in particular. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss him later, if you don't mind. And I certainly don't want to make light. But when you're talking about a team every week, you're watching up close and personal, 0 and 11. What is that like? Well, it's difficult to watch it, and it's frustrating because you know that the players really want to win. You know that they're giving their best effort. And, um, you know, to come up short week after week after week and be asked the same questions at the press conference and you go back and you try to correct those mistakes, you, you think that you've had a good week of practice, and then you go back out the following Sunday and you come up with the same result. It, it gets frustrating. It gets depressing. And for the 
the players now uh, for the 32 teams, you know, it's basically the same. You try to get yourself motivated to go out, and then the majority of these stadiums are empty. So it's kind of like an empty feeling because football is one of those emotional games where you feed off the crowd. That energy can go from the stadium right down to the field. And when you have a young team like the Jets do and an uh, inexperienced team where they try to rebuild their whole offensive line uh, in the offseason through free agency, there was no continuity, no chemistry built. And as a result, you know, you're 0-11. But uh, nobody's going to feel sorry for you in the NFL. You've got to keep playing. You've got to keep working. And hopefully you can get a victory before the end of the year. Marty, fans want to know. They ask all the time. Um, so I have to ask you, is, is Sam Darnold the right guy under center to help end this Super Bowl drought? You know what, Mark, to be honest with you, Sam is a great guy. I think he has qualities to be an outstanding quarterback in the NFL, um, whether it's here in New York or for another uh, NFL team. I think Sam's going to be successful. I think that that's a question that Joe Douglas is going to have to answer at the end of the year, along with many more. Who's going to coach the team? How are we going to rebuild? Where are we going to get the skilled players? How are we going to approach free agency? And, you know, is Sam going to be right for New York or, you know, Sam going to go somewhere else? But I think Sam has the qualities. It's very difficult to play here in New York and be successful if you don't win. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it's not just Sam, but there's uh, like 52 other players that are probably asking that same question right now. Number one, do I want to be a New York Jet in 2021? Do I want to be a part of the rebuild or do I want to go somewhere else? So it's frustrating for the players. It's frustrating for the fans. Then there's a lot of questions that, you know, have to be answered. And they have to be answered pretty quickly right after the season's done. Now, you're a guy who's been around this franchise for more than two-thirds of its existence. I'm wondering, from your perspective, how difficult is it for you to be as attached to this team as you are? Well, I'm committed. Put it that way. You know, I... I've been here 42 years, came in as their number one draft choice in 1979 and, you know, was with the organization as a player for 12 years, did their TV show, now 19 years with the radio. You know, I'm committed. I'm not jumping ship. I, I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and unfortunately, I was a part of that. And um, I know how much the fans meant to me as a player, and they uh, so when I retired in 1991, I stayed up here. I made a living up here, and uh, the community opened their arms to me in 1982 and embraced the foundation. The Jets showed that they believed in me in 1982 when I was 25 years old, wanting to start a foundation for terminally ill children. And, you know, they've been behind me ever since then, Mark. So uh, I'm very humbled and very thankful that the Jets organization, they felt that much. Uh, about my cause that they supported it, supported it then, and they still support it now. All right, onto the book. You had uh, your fellow D lineman uh, Joe Klecko write the forward, and I'm wondering, Marty, am I the only one voicing any surprise that it wasn't Kenny Schroy who wrote the forward? Well, I think Kenny was so involved in the book and so involved with the foundation that uh, you know, I, I really. I could have had Kenny do it, but I felt that uh, 
Joe and I got to be such good friends and teammates. And I'm really hoping that one day that the people in Canton, Ohio, open their eyes and realize that Joe deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And I just felt it would be an honor, you know, to have Joe write a few words. But it could have been, Mark, it could have been either one. And I wasn't trying to, you know, Kenny's been by my side ever since I got became a New York Jet in 1979. He he helped me start the foundation in 1982, and it could have been either of either of the two. And I, I just uh, very grateful that Joe was able to do it. And I think Joe did a terrific job. I didn't want to take anything away from him. I was just you know given all of the accolades and and the mentions of of Kenny who played safety for the Jets back in the day. Um, again, my own personal um, question was was whether Kenny was considered. Uh, now, in oh, this book – and go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry, Marty. No, no, Mark. Kenny was considered, um, but I think so much of the book uh, entailed our relationship. I thought that maybe that little bit of a separation up front uh, might be the proper way to go. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, you and uh, Lou Sahadi – your co-author who's been around the NFL basically forever. Uh, You take us on a ride, 23 chapters long. You start with the birth of the franchise, the Titans in the old AFL. You bring us right through the end of last season. And uh, frankly, while there have been uh, a relative handful of bright spots over the 60 years of Jets slash Titans, there have obviously been a lot more dark clouds. And I'm wondering, Marty, how tough was it for you having been around the team for as long as you have, to open some of those scabs going back through your memories? Well, you know what, Mark? I don't think it was opening any scabs. I think it was trying to reflect back on the people that I I had the opportunity to work with. I learned from every one of them, even if it was a bad season or two with, like, Richie Kotite. Uh, Richie and I were friends when he was the offense coordinator. Um, but I had a responsibility as a host of a TV show to ask some of the hard questions. And, you know, uh, Richie didn't like some of them. But, you know, I don't think it was ever a scab because I think the way I looked at it is that every, everybody in the past has been influential in my life to make me who I am today, to put me in this position that I am in today whether it was good or bad. And I think sometimes you learn from your mistakes and you should always learn from your mistakes so you don't allow them to happen again. But I did learn a long time ago that I didn't want football to define who I was. I didn't want people to think, oh, wow, he's just a football player. I went down to do a speaking engagement one day for the New Jersey athletic directors in uh, Atlantic City. And there was two speakers, so I always like to go in and hear what one speaker is going to say before I get up to talking. And the guy sitting next to me was filling out a questionnaire. And he was, you know, he got to my name and he started checking off poor, poor, delivery, poor, message, you know, typical, typical questionnaire. So I tapped him on the arm. I said, excuse me, sir, I don't think, you know, Marty Lyons has even spoken yet. And he goes, well, what can you expect? He's a football player. Oh, wow. And it was at that point that I really said, hey, you know what? If you're going to define who you are, then make a commitment to what you do and have your words be your integrity and let people know that, they, you know what? 
we're just like them. We're very fortunate to have the God-given tools to play the game of football that we love. And most of us were fortunate to get a college education, even though it took me 41 years to graduate. Um, and uh, we're just like them. And if, if you put yourself on a, on a pedestal because you're a professional athlete, when you go to fall, uh, there's not going to be a lot of safety nets out there. So, you know, I, I just wanted people to understand that, you know, the foundation that I started in 1982 has really, you know, been the driving force of, of what I've tried to accomplish uh, in my life because the game of football, you know, was I was so fortunate to have, you know, such talented people around me to go to the University of Alabama, play for Coach Bryant, win a national championship come here to the Jets and spend 12 years, but unfortunately we don't make it to the Super Bowl and, and still be, to be involved with the Jets is, uh, you know, it's a privilege. So uh, I, I'm very fortunate. Marty, you've mentioned 1982 uh, a few times now, and I, I'm, you know, in reading the book and I knew a little bit of the story, but it, you know, in, in remembering um, thanks to your, terrific writing um, and just it, it's so heart-wrenching what you went through in that one week in particular uh, your son Rocky was born obviously the elation that goes with that but in a span of 48 hours you had what was the makings for and I don't know how else to put this but it was absolutely a week from hell and I don't know how you can describe something like that that starts with the birth of a son but it really was and I don't know how you would describe it so I'll ask you what was that week like you know it was um, an emotional roller coaster you know because my Rocky was born on March 4th my dad suddenly died of a heart attack on March 8th little boy that has a big brother too died on March 10th so in a matter of six days and Keith was only five and a half years old and you know, you start to ask, why me? And you start to ask the good Lord, what am I doing wrong in life that you would do this to me? And then, you know, one week went to two weeks and then two weeks went to a month. And then you realize the more you said, why me? You're really saying, why not somebody else? I don't have the strength or the faith or the courage to face this. And this was real life. And that's when I reached out to Kenny and said, hey, you know, let, let's do something for these kids that won't have that same opportunity that we have to live a full life, but we can give them that opportunity to feel important. So uh, to put my name to a foundation to help terminally ill children, my first president, Bill Gibney, said, you know what, this is not going to be a one and done. I'll help you. I'll support you. But you have to make a commitment. And I realized in the last 38 years what a true commitment is. It means take the words of a promise, make them become a reality. When you don't have time, you find time. And the biggest thing is, is when somebody needs to talk to you, you're there to listen, but you don't ask for anything in return. Because the world we live in is almost like a bartered system. You know, Mark, I'll do something for you, but what are you going to do for me? And a lot of these families that we work with, all they want, to, all they want is somebody to listen to them. And that's all we tried to do. We tried to listen to them and fulfill the wishes of their children. And, you know, to think about it, uh, 
or reflect about it back in 1982, we had six people sitting around the table saying, okay, first thing we got to do is get licensed through the state of New York as a nonprofit 501c3. And now to realize that we are actually working in 13 states, we've helped over 8,000 families and we've raised over $35 million. Uh, that's a true tribute to everybody that's been involved, all the volunteers, everybody, all the supporters that say, hey, you know what? I believe in your mission. I want to be a part of it. I want to take ownership of it. Let me do it. And, you know, when God puts that many people around you, success is going to happen. And, you know, through the 38 years, it, it's been tough sometimes where you keep saying to yourself, boy, how much longer can I go? Did we, did we do enough? Money's hard to find. That charity dollar is getting pulled in every different direction. All right, have I done enough? And then all of a sudden you run into another family that will say, hey, you know what? I never had a chance to thank you, but you helped our child back in 1988. And then they tell me the story and you leave but here's that reminder that, yeah, we all want to feel good about what we do and what we accomplish, but the real rewards in life is hearing something that happened 20 years ago. That somebody says, hey, you influenced their life 20 years ago, and it had an impact. Well, this is not a religious show, but you are doing God's work, and uh, you should be commended, and I thank you on behalf of of anyone who's listening, whose uh, life you have touched over these many years uh, on and off the field. Uh, as I was reading the book, Marty, I started to think, and it's really sort of a, a morbid thought, but you're an expert at delivering eulogies. And you made a mention of that uh, toward the end of the book. Um, obviously, it's something that no one would ever want to be, but I'm wondering how is it that you're able to see the positive in, in so much negative? Well, I think you got to look at reality, Mark, is that, you know, nobody's going to live forever. One day, each and every, each and every one of us, we're going to die. Whether you're 70 years old, 80 years old, or five or six years old. I remember sitting there talking to a 17-year-old boy named Jonathan who had a brain tumor. And I asked him, I said, you know, through this whole ordeal, what message would you give people? And he said, I would tell people to live life to the fullest each and every day for life will be short no matter how long you live. And when he said it to me, it was kind of like I didn't understand it until you take it in bits and pieces. You know, live life every day for life will be short no matter how long you live. So if you live to be 80 in relationship to how long this world's going to last, it's really a short period of time. And Jonathan ended up passing away at the age of 17. But that's why I tried to emphasize and pay tribute to all the kids from the foundation 
the ones that survived definitely showed us what the strength and courage is uh, to face any obstacle in life and to never give up on themselves. And for those that uh, ended up passing away, they were true teachers in life if we took time to listen to their message. And I know you just mentioned that this is not a religious show, but that doesn't mean everybody shouldn't realize that faith plays a big part in every one of our lives. You know, I've truly been with these kids where they say, hey, you know what, don't worry about me. I've seen the angels. I'm going to be all right. And they taught me to understand that, you know, faith is believing in something you can't see. But if you have enough faith, when you do die, you'll, get, you'll be rewarded by seeing everything that you believe in. And not a single one of these kids have ever said to me, why me? Why am I here? Why, why is God doing this to me? They all understand that they're here for a reason. They're here to be teachers. They're here to deliver a message. But it's up to you and I, Mark, and up to people to take time to recognize it, to sit and talk to them, and to realize that what they have is not contagious. I worked with a girl named Lauren. She had a brain tumor. And I used to call her up after she went to her treatments and she had her surgery and she'd go back to school and I'd call her up. I said, Lauren, how was today? How was it getting back to around your classmates, going to school again? And she would just tell me, Marty, today I was invisible. And I said, what are you talking about? You were invisible. She said, I went back to school. I sat at my same lunch table and nobody sat with me. She said, they just walked by me and looked at me, and today I was invisible. And when you put yourself in their shoes, it's, I don't think anybody intentionally tries to do it, but we all do it at times. You know, you see somebody and you go, oh, my God, what am I going to do? What, can, what am I going to say? And rather than saying something, we choose to not say anything. Yeah. And we walk by and we never give it a second thought. For those people that we don't recognize or you don't walk up and say, hey, how, how's it going? Uh, you know, in their life, it's another day of them being invisible. Marty, I'm curious to know, um, do you ever think about where you would be without your faith? You know, Mark, I was... My parents, you know, put us through 12 years Catholic school. You know, going to church on Sunday wasn't an option. It was an event. You didn't have a choice. We went together as a family. There was no sporting events, uh, you know, youth baseball, youth soccer on a Sunday. Everybody respected that day. And uh that has changed. Society has changed that. They're putting soccer games at eight o'clock in the morning all the way through nine. And now, you know, people are choosing whether they go to church on a Saturday night. If they don't, do they go to church on a Sunday? I think faith is so much, is so important in everybody's life because there's so much adversity that's happening in this world around us that we can't, if you don't have faith, it's hard to understand. You know, life's not like a light switch. Things happen around us, and then you flip on the lights, and everything's good. No, it doesn't. It's not good. It doesn't change the way you think. 
but it gives you hope for a better tomorrow. It gives you something that inspires you because with all the adversity and death being one of them, and we look at what the virus has done, it's taken away almost 270,000 American lives and has destroyed the history of our nation because those elderly people were the ones that start off every one of their stories, I remember when. And we too will have that opportunity 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And we go, I can, I can remember what the 2020 year was like, how difficult it was, how we had to go in lockdown, how we had to make these sacrifices and how I made it through. And everybody will say it's their own individual faith that kept them driving. So I think it's so important. Where would I be without it? You know, I don't know where I would be without it, Mark, because I've had it for so long. Yeah, that's a very good point. Now, you end several of the chapters in the book with what you call the lion's life lessons. And uh, they are certainly words to live by, but I'm wondering, how did they, uh, how did they come about? Well, I always thought about things, you know, that um, we don't notice. I, I, I thought about the things that, you know, I would sit there and explain to my kids that these are life lessons that you have got to prepare yourself for because I've been through. And it, it's just seemed to flow with the book. And I think that it was one day that I was driving to work and I, you know, taken this same road to work for 20 years and, and I got behind the school bus and I was in no hurry and the school bus stopped and the stop sign came out from the left side of the bus. And I see the driver get out. He walks around the front of the bus and opens up the door and I glance over to the right. And here was a, a handicap ramp in front of a house that I'd never noticed. All of a sudden, the mother opens up the door, and she has a disabled disabled son, severely disabled. She wheels him down. She gives him a kiss. She greets the bus driver. She puts him on the school bus, and she walks back up the ramp. And I was just thinking that particular day what it was like to be in her shoes, what it was like for her to get up every single morning and take her son out of bed and give her son a bath and then feed her son and then dress her son and put him in the wheelchair and then take him out to the bus and, you know, have a window of opportunity for maybe three or four hours. And then she's back taking her son off the bus. And uh, it's that same routine, you know, seven days a week, 365 days a year. What kind of person that that mother really is the sacrifices that she makes for her son. And if we don't as uh, healthy parents look at the world from her eyes, we'll never understand what it's like. And I wanted the readers to, to go in to a an intensive care unit, to be a, a, around a parent and, and read what it's like and see the pain feel the pain and say to, say to themselves, you know, what would I do? How would I handle this? And can I make a difference? You know, after I read it, can I make a difference? Maybe, maybe you're in a good 
position financially and you can donate some money. That, that's fantastic because the foundation, we always need money and so do all the other nonprofits. But if you can't donate money, maybe you have time. And time is the only thing we can't make more of, but you can always make more money. So if you don't have money and you have time, find a charity that you believe in and donate your time. And then, Mark, I always tell people, they go, well, if you don't have money and you don't have time, you know, because you have a, a full-time job, you know, that's where I tell them, donate your thoughts and prayers. Because if we have one prayer that's answered, maybe that saves one life. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm listening to you and I'm reflecting on on having just read the book. And not only is your story inspirational, but the stories that you tell and that you're telling me today are are inspirational. And and that's special because you don't you don't get all corners from a lot of people like we're getting from you. And I really do appreciate it. Uh, I alluded at the beginning of our chat to. Uh, a conversation you had with Moose and Maggie a few weeks ago. And I, I, I have to bring him up, but I don't want you to get all upset about it. Um, when you think about Dennis Bird, are there any happy memories? Oh, they're all happy. It's unfortunate that he passed away the way he did. It's unfortunate that he had the injury that ended his career. Uh, but Dennis was a true Christian. He was, uh, he loved, he loved his religion. He loved Jesus and he wouldn't preach to us, but he made us all better by being around him. I mean, he had the ability to be an outstanding football player. He broke his neck. And when I went in to see him just a couple of days later, you know, he's laying in, in bed. He's got a halo on so he can't move his neck. He's got mirrored glasses on so he could see who was walking in and when I walked in I said Dennis how are you doing he said I'm doing fine he goes you know I'm going to walk again I said Dennis I believe that and then out of the blue he said you know I'm glad this happened to me rather than any of my uh, rather than any of my teammates and I was kind of taken back by that remark and I said what do you mean Dennis and he says you know I have faith I have faith. A lot of my teammates don't have the same faith that I have. So I know I'm going to be okay. I know I'm going to walk. And he did. He walked out of the hospital a year later, and I stayed in contact with Dennis. And I remember walking him out when they retired his number. I was had my arm around him, and I was holding him up by his belt because he was uh, very unstable when he walked. And he looked at me, and he goes, what should I say? And I said, Dennis, man. These fans love you, man. Just speak from the heart. And he did. And when he passed away, he, you know, his life was relived again. All the, all the media covered and said, hey, remember this guy, Dennis Bird. Remember he had a neck injury. Remember he lost his career. Remember he said he could walk again. And this was all through his faith. So he had an impact. He had an impact from the day he came with the Jets, from the day he came into my life, to being a football player, but more importantly, being a man, a man of faith. And uh, we miss him, but he made an impact. And I don't and know. I always tell, 
I always tell people that, you know, Mark, you have a choice. You can make an impression or you can make an imp impact. And an impact in, in somebody's life is going to change the way they think and change the way that they act. And that was Dennis Burke. And I don't know if the Jets were to ever win a Super Bowl again, if the ovation would be anywhere near as loud as it was that night that you and he walked out to midfield. No, he, the fans, and that's the one thing that is frustrating that the fans, and in 2013, when I got inducted to the Ring of Honor, the last thing I said was, you know, thank you to the fans. And I pointed up at my name and I said, you know, my name will be your name, meaning the fans, forever in the Ring of Honor, because that's how much respect I have for the fans the fans made the game exciting for me they made me feel important they gave me an opportunity to go out and play every sunday even if i was banged up they gave me that energy and you know we didn't have when i had bad games you know what they were still there and i so one thing i learned about the jet fans and the jets media and the new york media if you're honest with them they're going to treat you a little bit better than if they come up to you and they say, hey, can I ask you a few questions? You go, oh, no, not today. You know, you have a responsibility to answer these questions, whether they're good questions or bad questions, because the individual that is asking you the question, they have a job also. If I didn't know any better, I would think you were looking over my shoulder at my notes because <laughs> as we go down the list, everything I'm – ready to talk about your leading right into, uh, and you mentioned the ring of honor. Um, I'm a Hofstra guy, so I have a great affinity and loving memories of your former defensive coordinator um, in the uh, SAC exchange days. Of course, I'm talking about Joe Gardy. Um, is, is there a place for him in the Jets ring of honor? You know, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. <clears throat> I think that there's, um, I'd love to see Walt Michaels up there. I'd love to see Bruce Harper up there. Um, there's so many people that deserve the right to be up there. Um, but Mark, be honest with you, I'm not sure, you know, whether, whether they would take into consideration somebody like Joe Gardy. Um, I'm not sure. But does he deserve to be up there? There's a, there's a lot of people that deserve to be up there. And I was the 13th player selected from the organization. So, uh, again, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate. Uh, I'd love to be on that committee to, uh, you know, evaluate and say yes, no. But it's very hard for me to say no to anybody that I've been associated with over there because – you know, I look back, they, they were very instrumental in my life. And if they're instrumental in my life, whether it's off the field or on the field, then they made a contribution. Then if they're not in the Jets' ring of honor, they're in my ring of honor. Marty, I'm curious to know, as you were putting this book together with Lou, um, what was, if any, if you can narrow it down, what was your favorite part to relive as you were writing about it? <clears throat> I think the favorite part is, you know, the Dennis Bird stories was definitely one of my, you know, inspirational one because 
when they drafted Dennis, he, they drafted him to take my job. So I had to mess with him early during training camp, which I did. I was good at messing with people. And once I realized that, you know what, this kid can play and he can help the organization, then I realized that, you know what, you don't need to mess with them. You need to help them. Uh, but that was, that was one of the ones I enjoyed writing. And I enjoyed writing about all the kids from the foundation. Um, because I think their stories need to be heard. Their stories need to be told. They need to, you know, we need to pay tribute to the real heroes in life. And the real heroes in life aren't the guys that are lining up on Sundays. The real heroes in life are the guys that sacrificed their lives during 9-11, sacrificed their lives during this pandemic, being out there on the front line. The real heroes are these young kids that, you know what, they came into this world for some reason to make an impact on us. And uh, God put me in the right place at the right time to to be involved with their life and to take their lessons in life and, and try to explain them to other people so that these kids, uh, even though they're no longer here with us, they continue to live on. Well, as you mentioned earlier, uh, for you, especially 1982 was an emotional roller coaster. And I, I think that comes across from start to finish in this book. It is an emotional roller coaster. Uh, it is a trip that I recommend everyone take, whether you're a Jets fan or not, because it really doesn't specifically apply to Jets fans. If you're a fan of a good story and a well-told story, and there are 23 of them, uh, in this book, I, I highly recommend. Uh, if These Walls Could Talk, uh, stories from the New York Jets, sideline, locker room, and press box. Marty Lyons is with us. Uh, Marty, I can't thank you enough for the time today. I really do appreciate it. Well, Mark, I can't thank you enough, too, and I, I hope your listeners understand that uh, to make a difference, all you have to do is care. If you go to the martylyonsfoundation.org website, order a book. I just went downstairs. Uh, and signed two more cases. So if you order through the foundation, uh, if you want a little message on the inside, I'll be more than happy to sign any books that anybody wants. I think it'll make a great Christmas present. And as I said earlier, you know, one of the early reviews that I got back was uh, an individual told me, I found myself laughing, I found myself crying, but I found myself inspired inspired to do more and I said to myself well if that's what the reader got out of the book or this particular reader got out of the book then just maybe it's a good book so it all depends on what the individual gets out of the book that's going to influence their life that could possibly change their lives or possibly look at life maybe a little bit different than what you looked at it before you started the book but uh you know, I thank you for this time, Mark, and I uh, want to just wish everybody a happy holiday, a healthy holiday. And, you know, we're, we're in this crazy time where if we all do our part, you know, we can create some light at the end of the tunnel. Indeed. I hope I get to see you for the uh, home finale on the 27th against the Browns. Fingers are I crossed. I hope so. Come by and see us, Mark. I will. Thank you so much. I am Mark Renee. That is the great Marty Lyons, and you're on the mark. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 